Uh, Psalm 130 is one of my favorite psalms. I wrote a song based on that. We're going to sing that a little bit later on. And it's been categorized as one of the seven penitential psalms, psalms that are to do with lamenting over personal sin. And as you could see in the heading that Andrew read, it's also one of the 15 songs of ascent. Uh, These psalms were sung during the pilgrimage to Jerusalem on certain festivals throughout the year. And as the worshippers ascended or climbed upwards towards the Temple Mount, it's likely that they sang these psalms as they were pilgriming. Now, before we look at that, let's pray and ask God for help. Gracious Father God, thank you for your word that speaks of your works and also that speaks of your character. So open our hearts, our minds, our ears, Father, to hearing of who you are and who your son Christ is. Help me to preach your word faithfully, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I um, subscribe to a YouTube channel called Team Fearless. And as you could see from that video before, it's basically full of self-motivational videos. And to be honest, I'm, I'm just subscribed to see the thumbnails. Let me share a few of these with you. I walk alone, I'm okay on my own. Here's another one. Only those who, those who dare to fight for a great life have a chance to live a great life. And another one, if they tell you 99% fail, don't lose faith, believe you are in the 1%. And so basically, if you click on one of these thumbnails, you get a video full of inspirational building, background music, and then you get someone eventually shouting motivational stuff at you, slapping you around the head. It's quite popular for million subscribers which tells me I think a lot of people are looking for answers when they face disappointment and failure in their lives. Now, at some point, all of us are going to reach those places where we say, I've really made a mess of things. I've made a mess of my relationships with others, with God, and I need to do something about it. Or, Or maybe you're on the receiving end of someone else's mess be that a spouse, a family member, a business partner, a parent, friend. Now, when you are in your mess or put in someone else's mess, what do you do? Now, Team Fearless will tell you that the answers lie in yourself. Don't give up. You've got to look within. You've got to try harder to lift yourself up to achieve your dreams. Now, what do you think about that approach? Now, from my observation, when when I meet people in my job, I I actually don't think it works. I see a lot of people living this out instead, this slogan, fake it till you make it. Kind of believe beyond your belief that it's going to work out and you've just got to convince yourself it's going to work out. And, And you can't admit weakness, you can't admit failure, where you can't say sorry for the things you've done and you just have to pretend that you've got it all together. And you're scared that people are going to see through the smoke and the mirrors. And you just hope against hope that something will improve. Now, there's got to be a better way. Psalm 130 
presents the better way. I was uh, visiting someone from church and they had this framed message in their household. And I, I thought it was so good, I took a photo of it. It's a reminder for this household, your grace abounds in deepest waters. Uh, forget the team fearless slogans. This is the one you should remember. Your grace, that is God's grace, abounds in deepest waters. That's what Psalm 130 is all about, and we're going to unpack it as we look at three things in this psalm. Firstly, out of the depths. Secondly, with you is forgiveness. And thirdly, put your hope in. Well, firstly, out of the depths. Verse 1. Out of the depths, I call to you, Lord. Listen to my, my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for help. Uh, in the Psalms, we often see that God welcomes our cries of utter despair. We can actually lament to God when we suffer. But we can also lament to God because of our sin against him. And that's exactly what the psalmist is doing here. The psalmist is drowning in his or her own sin. And because of this sin, the psalmist is crying out to God. I wonder if you've ever felt like you are drowning in an ocean of your own sin. Uh, I wonder if you felt the stain of shame uh, each time you've lusted over porn. I wonder if you felt the weight of guilt when you've lied to those close to you. Uh, maybe you've tried to bury those feelings of shame and guilt, but they're still there, aren't they, eating away at you? Or maybe you're someone trying so earnestly to live a good life, but the more you try, the more acutely aware you are that you just don't measure up to God's standard. You feel the weight of every sin and the great distance between you and God. Maybe you feel that you are in the depths. Uh, one of the earliest church leaders, Augustine, who lived in the late 4th century, wrote a book called Confessions. And it's one of the earliest autobiographies ever written in history. And he's writing as a man in about his 40s, about my age, and he writes with sorrow about the depth of his sinful youth, about his sexual lust, about his theft. He recounts this one particular episode in his life when he was 16, after playing sport with his mates one evening, they ended up stealing pears in a neighbor's yard, only to take a bite from them and, and then throw them away to the pigs. And Augustine confesses that he, he didn't want the pears because he had better pears at home. What he loved was his sin. This is what he said in Confessions. You, fairest of all, creator of all, you good God, God, the highest good and my true good. Those pears truly were pleasant to the sight, but it was not for them that my miserable soul lusted, for I had abundance of better. But those I plucked simply that I might steal. For having plucked them, I threw them away, my soul gratification in them being my own sin which I was pleased to enjoy, for if any of these pears entered my mouth, the sweetener of it was my sin in eating it. My miserable soul, Augustine confesses, 
from the depths. But he says about God, you, God, the highest God, the highest good, my true good. Augustine knows that the problem of the sin that he loved is where it left him with the good God. Look at verse 3. Lord, if you kept an account of iniquities, Lord, who could stand? And the Bible uses a number of different words to shed light on how terrible our sin is. This word iniquity is deliberate, ongoing sin. Uh, The psalmist use another word in the psalms, transgression. That's another word for sin where you knowingly disobey something that God forbids. But sin can also mean missing the mark, falling short of God's standard. Uh, Whatever it is, when it comes to standing before a holy, sinless, pure God, none of us can claim innocence. Each one of us is guilty of transgression, of iniquity, of trespass, of sin. Uh, Over the years, I've conducted a number of funerals, and I've noticed it's become pretty standard practice now to show a tribute video of the person who's died. Uh, You've seen them. It's usually about three to four minutes long, composed of uh, meaningful photos showing the highlight of that person's life over background music that meant something to them. Uh, It's the most meaningful moments, really, of that person's life with their loved ones. Now, I want you to imagine that at your death, after the lovely tribute video shown of your life, all the highlights, there's another video. And this time, it's an account of all your sin. Every skeleton in your closet that you've kept hidden from others, all the sinful words that you've used to tear others down, all the things that you stole from others, all the jealous, judgmental thoughts that you've had, all the good things even that you neglected to do because you were so selfish. And imagine if that was up there on the screen for everyone to see, including your loved ones. Now, I would be horrified if you saw that video of my life. I mean, even as a sinner before fellow sinners, I would not be able to handle that. But even worse than that, imagine a holy God seeing that video because the problem of sin is not just what I do to others, it's what I do to God. Well, none of us could stand if there was an account, a record of all our sin before God, apart from the shame that we'd feel, we would all stand guilty as charged, rightly condemned by God for what we have done against him. And you see, the thing is, God could make that video, God could show that video, but he knows all and he sees all, but that is not what God is like. If, like Augustine, you realize the weight of your miserable sin against God, the sin you've loved by loving yourself more than God, if you feel the weight of that guilt and shame, I want you to hear this from Psalm 130. There is no depth too far from God where he will not hear your cry for mercy. I'm going to say that again. There is no depth too far from God where he will not hear your cry for mercy. And this brings us to the second point. 
but with you is forgiveness. Verse 4, but with you there is forgiveness so that you may be revered. I wait for the Lord. I wait and put my hope in his word. I wait for the Lord more than watchman for the morning, more than watchman for the morning. And the character of God is that he is willing to forgive. And the psalmist knows that he is sinking in the depths of his own sin, but the very fact that he cries out to God is because he knows what God is like. God is eager to forgive. In Luke 15, the passage that Andrew read, Jesus tells the parable of the lost or the prodigal son to show what God is like, but really that parable should be called the compassionate father because he is the high point of that parable. And this willful, selfish son who had sinned against his father so terribly This is what happens when he decides to go home after reaching the depths of his own sin, sitting there with the pigs, jealous of the pig food. Verse 20, so he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Verse 24, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found So they began to celebrate. Imagine a Middle Eastern elderly man trying to run in his long tunic, losing all his dignity as he's stumbling along, trying to run as fast as he can because he wants to throw his arms around his lost son. And he doesn't care what others think because all he can think of is embracing this son that he thought was dead but is now alive. And that is the picture of what God is like. Psalm 103, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, quick to forgive. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. That is the amazing, undeserved grace of God. Your grace abounds in deepest waters. And what does the psalmist do with this forgiving, gracious God? He, he waits in verse 6. Look at the analogy. More than watchmen wait for the morning. Now, imagine uh, soldiers on night duty posted on the walls of the city. And this is the hardest time to defend the city because stealth attacks are most likely to happen at night. And so these watchmen long for the safety of the morning. They know that the dawn is coming, but until then, they actively watch and they wait. And the psalmist says that He longs for the gracious God more than these watchmen. He waits with expectation, knowing that God will come through. God will do something about his sin. Uh, Two of the worst years of my life were the last two years of high school. Um, Our family had finished a stressful renovation of our house, and my parents' marriage collapsed at the end of that And I had to face the the stress of a VCE trying to get into a good course at uni. And I, I felt alone. I felt that with all I was going through, I felt that God was distant and I was powerless. 
Uh, after I finished uni, uh, at school, I actually went to uni and I, I joined a Bible study in the Christian Union and God brought me to these verses in Romans 5. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, Team Fearless will tell you that when you're in the depths, you need to drag yourself out. You need to overcome failure and disappointment by yourself. And I see a lot of restless souls trying to do that. I see a lot of people desperate for peace, trying to find their own solutions. And what does the Bible tell you? That you're powerless to save yourself. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Restless people trying to find their own solutions, and often they make more of a mess. But powerless people wait for the Lord to act. When I read these words in Romans, God was teaching me that what I was waiting for was Jesus. In the face of other people's sin and my own sin, I was powerless. What I was waiting for wasn't a renovated house. wasn't my parents getting back together. It wasn't getting into a good course at uni. What I was waiting for all this time was what God had already done for me on the cross of Christ. Christ died for me. God was not distant from me. He had been waiting for me to realize how close he really was. Can I speak to you restless souls now? Maybe you are dealing with the disappointments of others or the failure of your own sin. What are the solutions that you're turning to? The busy distraction on your phone. Maybe you're trying to prove something to yourself and to others that you're worth something. Maybe you're at that point of giving up on God and just trying to find peace your own way. And maybe you're just angry with others, with yourself, with God. Restless soul, can I encourage you to wait for God? See what the gracious Father has done for you. In Jesus. This brings us to our third and final point. Put your hope in. Verse 7. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for there is faithful love with the Lord, and with him is redemption in abundance, and he will redeem Israel from all its iniquities. Now, redemption in the Bible is the language of freeing someone from slavery. And in the cultures of the Bible, to redeem someone, you actually had to pay a price for their freedom. And the Bible is clear that sin enslaves us. And the law of God cannot save us. We cannot save ourselves. The law, in fact, points out our guilt. 
So self-reliance doesn't work because sin demands a price that none of us can pay. We need a redeemer who will pay the price, a redeemer who will break the chains of sin and death. And even the writer of this psalm knows that it's not something that he or she can do, but it's only God who can redeem because of his love. But he, he didn't know exactly how God would do this, but we know, don't we? We know. This is the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 1, verse 7. In him, that is Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. At the cross, Christ paid the price of our sin with his blood. At the cross, our redemption was secured. Sins can be forgiven because there is a substitute who died our death. Our slavery to sin and death is now broken. And there you see again that word, grace, the riches of his grace, grace that came to us, not because we can scrub ourselves clean, grace that met us in the depths at our very worst. Your grace abounds in deepest waters. And the psalmist has one final thing to say, and this time it's it's not a prayer to God, it's not a cry to God, it's an appeal to his people. And see how far he's traveled. He went from the desperate cries of a drowning person to someone who is now proclaiming to anyone who will listen, put your hope in yourself. No. Put your hope in the Lord. Put your hope in the one who loves sinners. Put your hope in the one who rescued this drowning soul. Put your hope in the one who sets captives free from guilt and shame. Put your hope in the one who will give you lasting rest for your restless soul. Friends, where will you put your hope? And where will you point others to? when they come to you looking for hope. Uh, When I I first heard uh, Psalm 130 preached at this church, not by Neil, but by the pastor before Neil, years and years ago, it really struck me, convicted me. And one of the things he said was that we should not be surprised when someone comes up to us and confesses sin. Uh, In the New Testament, the Apostle James talks about confessing sin to each other. The book of Galatians talks about restoring a fellow brother or sister who has been caught in sin. And I think this is one of those opportunities to point someone to put your hope in the Lord. I'm going to share uh, with you something that I do. I'll go through a list of things that I do and maybe you could do This, when someone comes to you with their sin. Well, firstly, don't be surprised by their sin. Sometimes I think we are a bit surprised when someone shares a particular struggle with us. But you see, the reality is that all of us struggle with sin. And all of us are capable of any sin. 
even someone you think that might be above that kind of sin, don't be surprised. Secondly, you should listen. I mean, I mean, really listen. Don't don't interrupt. Give them an opportunity to to share, to pour their heart out, to confess. But also, you don't need to ask them for every detail because that's not helpful for you or for them. After this, thank them for sharing with you because it's probably taken enormous courage and vulnerability to share that with you. After this, I normally read Psalm 51. That's another one of these penitential psalms. And this is the one that David wrote. David, King David, the man described as a man after God's own heart. This is the one he wrote after committing the sins of adultery and murder. He was exposed by the prophet Nathan. And I read this particular one because it shows them that even someone like David, even someone like David could sin and confess that sin. Psalm 51 also conveys the weight of our sin against God. And it paints a picture of what repentance looks like when you feel grieved for God and not just grieved for yourself. Psalm 51 also expresses a desire to be clean again before God. Next, I pray with them, but but more importantly, I encourage them to pray. That is how you point someone to put their hope in the Lord. Yes, it's a good thing to confess to someone, but ultimately the one you need to confess into is God. Put your hope in God, cry out to mercy, cry out for mercy from the depths to him. And he is the only one who can forgive and wash away sin and guilt through the cross of Christ. And after they've prayed, I then read 1 John 1 9 with them. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And I say that is only possible because of Jesus. God is just. He will punish your sin on Jesus. But he's also faithful to the promise that he will forgive you and show you mercy because of Jesus. Now, I'll also say you might not feel different, but you need to trust in the promise of this verse that God will forgive when you confess your sin to him. Now, next, I will also ask them to finish by by saying, what are you going to do differently the next time? Because repentance is about a change of direction in the way that you think and live before God and not repeating the same mistakes over and over again. Uh, The clip that I showed you at the start was from the movie Amazing Grace, based on the true story of the campaign by William Wilberforce, a committed Christian and parliamentarian in the English parliament to abolish slavery. And a mentor to William Wilberforce was John Newton, the author of perhaps the most well-known Christian song ever written, Amazing Grace. A song that is actually about the depths of his own sin and God's grace shown to him. 
Uh, Newton became a sailor at age 11. He was forced to join the Royal Navy at 18, where he was flogged with 96 lashes for attempting to desert the Navy. He was then forced into slavery of his own experience, age 20, in West Africa, where he was actually serving other slaves. He was uh, rescued at age 23, and on his return voyage to England, Newton was caught up in a massive storm where he really thought he was going to die. And he cried out to God for mercy, and eventually the storm died down. And it was from this point that Newton began his journey towards Christ. Now, he continued to work as a captain of slave ships until age 29, when he suffered a stroke And from the age of 30, Newton became really serious about studying the Bible. And eventually, seven years later, he became an Anglican minister. Quite a life, huh? At age 63, he wrote a pamphlet called Thoughts Upon the Slave Trade, in which he described the horrific conditions of the slave ships, and he apologized For a confession which he says came too late, he said, it will always be a subject of humiliating reflection to me that I was once an active instrument in a business at which my heart now shudders. And he had copies of this pamphlet sent to every member of the British Parliament. And Newton lived to see the abolition of the slave trade the year that he died aged 82. In his old age, he is quoted as saying, although my memory is fading, I remember two things very clearly. I'm a great sinner and Christ is a great saviour. And he wrote his own epitaph, which is on his gravestone in Olney, the church where he pastored. John Newton, Clark, once an infidel, and libertine, a servant of slaves in Africa, was by the rich mercy of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had long laboured to destroy. Your grace abounds in deepest waters. Let me pray. Uh, Gracious Father God, who of us could stand if you kept a record of our sin? Uh, We have restless souls trying to find solutions, trying to do things our own way, and what a mess we make. Gracious Father, we cry out to you for mercy. And we wait upon you, for with you is forgiveness. Thank you that we see so much more than the psalmist saw, that we have seen Jesus and his death on the cross, the one who has redeemed us, the one who has lifted us out of slavery to sin and death. Thank you that you forgive those who confess to you, and that you will wash us and purify us from all unrighteousness. Father, please help us to keep putting our hope in you, in Jesus, and to point others to him 
when they share of how they've sinned against you with us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.